happy Monday. It's another beautiful day where we get to connect here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Over the past several years, we've seen more attention given to the importance of racial representation for historically marginalized, misrepresented, or underrepresented populations. Within the Asian American community and particularly within the Korean American community, we've seen some great new films. So I'm thinking about last year's Minari, um, also thinking about this year's highly anticipated Shang-Chi and Legend of Ten Rings and Netflix Squid Game, which continues to bring Korean pop culture to American audiences. Now, just a couple weeks ago, Blue Bayou was released in theaters across the U.S., a story about a Korean adoptee who is facing deportation. This movie drew immediate criticism from Korean adoptees, raising questions about representation and appropriation within communities. Justin Chan, the movie's director and lead actor, is Korean American, but not adopted. To talk more about representation, appropriation, and Korean adoption, today I have joining me Caitlin Himmicky. Caitlin was born in Seoul, South Korea, and raised in Michigan. She is a two-time Fulbright Award recipient and holds an MA in English from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, where she studied birth family search and trauma in adoptee memoirs. She now lives in Milwaukee and works for the HANA Center, a nonprofit organization in Chicago that serves and organizes Korean and multi-ethnic immigrant populations. Good morning, Caitlin. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, I am so glad that you said yes to this <laughs> interview. So listeners, you should know that Caitlin and I know each other. We're both Korean adoptees. Um, we're involved in the Korean adoptee community. And that's how we originally connected um, some several years ago <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Yes. And so as soon as I saw Blue Bayou, I and also Caitlin's initial kind of reactions to the film, I was like, oh, we have to talk about this. And I knew, Caitlin, that you would have a lot of insights just based on your expertise, not just, you know, our lived experiences as adoptees, but on your expertise and then also with the work that you're currently doing. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes. Um, yeah, I'll start by saying I'm certainly not the only, like, obviously, like, there are there are many, many experts out there um, who, uh, you know, create not only Korean adoptee scholars, but, you know, just adoptee scholars in general who could have easily been consulted on this film, and they were not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just, I'll just, I'll start with that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So let's kind of give our listeners just a little bit more about what the movie is about. I know I just gave kind of like that one sentence summary, but just a little bit more um, in case folks haven't seen it. And let me just preface this too, by saying for Memphis listeners, you know, this film came out two weeks ago and is no longer showing in Memphis, which I, I feel 
knew that it was going to quickly show up and leave just based on our own population here, very small Asian American populations. So I knew this wasn't, um, or maybe wasn't thought of as the audience for the movie, which we can also talk more about who is the intended mm. audience and how that might um, impact people who see it. Um, but would you just give us kind of like a, a summary of what this movie is about? Um, yeah, so that's interesting that you say that actually, because I noticed, um, or at least when the movie first came out, I was looking to see if it was showing in Milwaukee or even like anywhere close to Milwaukee, and it was not. Um, wow. So I did not check, I didn't check if it showed up later, um, but at least in the first few days of its release, it was it was not playing in this area. Um, so yeah, Blue Bayou is a film about a Korean American adoptee. Um, the character's name is Antonio in the film um, and it's set um, in Louisiana and um, he he uh, is married to a white American woman who has a daughter of you know a daughter from a previous relationship so Antonio is a stepfather to this young daughter um, his wife is pregnant with another baby on the way um, and um, Antonio ends up learning that he is not a U.S. citizen and he faces deportation after a scuffle with the police, the local police. Um, so yeah, the movie is about um, Antonio, you know, facing these deportation proceedings and trying to appeal his case um, and trying to find a way to stay uh, with, his, with his family. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now for you, as you heard about this movie, what were your initial reactions? Maybe when you saw the trailer, just heard that this was coming to theater soon. Um, yeah, so when I first saw the trailer, which I, I guess I couldn't tell you how long ago that was, but um, my, my initial reaction was definitely one of apprehension. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just because it was pretty, it was pretty clear from the beginning. I mean, you know, that it was advertised from the start as being written, directed, and starring Justin Chung, who is not an adoptee. Um, and um, you know, it was not apparent if there were any adoptees involved in the production to any degree. Um, so that immediately had me feeling pretty <laughs> apprehensive about, you know, how how you know how accurately could it really portray the adoptee experience. Um, and, and to what intent. <laughs> um, and um, the other thing that was clear just from the trailer, I mean, tra the trailer was very dramatic. Um, it, it, it was marketed from the beginning as, you know, this like heartbreaking story of who gets to be American. Um, and I don't know that, you know, it, not, not great feelings, <laughs> um, you, you know, um, from, from the beginning. So yeah, I went into it with low expectations, I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you went into it with apprehension, with low expectations. I think for me, when I first saw the trailer, I'll be honest, I was excited um, and I think part of that excitement is because we see so few representations of, you know, Asian Americans, Korean Americans, and then adoptees specifically, or even Korean adoptees specifically, if you want to get, you know, right down to it. And so for me, I was excited. But of course, just because you're represented, I mean, doesn't mean that you're represented well, or you're represented mm -hmm. with your best interest at heart. And we can think mm -hmm. about that 
not just through art, but in the political process, right? Through a lot of different areas, representation only goes so far. Yes, it's great to see a face that looks like yours, but you mentioned this question of intent, and I think that that is really important. Um, So let's just get into some of your initial reactions after seeing the film. Now, did you just go to the theater and see this, or was it like part of, you know, were there special adoptee screenings? Were there special, (laughs) like, you know, Korean-American screenings? Yeah. Um, so I got to see the film, um, in Chicago because my, the organization that I work for, um, the HANA Center, um, was invited to attend and it was, you know, we just got a, a cold email from a marketing, some kind of marketing firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, our executive director and, um, some other folks, you know, in our HANA Center is part of a national network. So they had already seen the film, I think. Um, perhaps because of, um, I'm, not, I'm not totally clear on this. I, I think it was maybe to do with Adoptees for Justice because we have board members for Adoptees for Justice. Um, but so, you know, I, I, at least the HANA folks thought that was probably why we got invited. It might not have necessarily been that they were like, we're looking for a Korean American organization to reach out to. Um, they suspected it was probably more because of the, the previous connection. Um, but so, so this, this marketing group reached out um, offering, you know, tickets to an advanced screening. Um, didn't, you know, the email didn't say much. Um, it was just, you know, a synopsis of the film, the details of the screening. Um, and so when I, you know, and I was, the con- you know, I was the contact person um, with, in touch with this marketing rep. So um, when I responded, my first question to them was, have you reached out to Catch? Catch is uh, the Korean Adoptees of Chicago group. Um, and, you know, I said something about how we would, you know, we would really love to prioritize adoptees in this kind of show, it's this, for this kind of screening. Um, HANA Center will do the same as well with however many tickets we get, but, um, you know, have you reached out to Catch? And I was kind of hoping they would say, yes, of course. <laughs> um, but the response was actually, oh no, like I had, you know, had no idea that this group existed. Who, you know, who are they? Who can I, do you have a contact that I can get in touch with? So that was the first red flag, right? Like mm-hmm. it would take you two seconds on Google to find that there is a Korean adoptees group in Chicago that in there, you know, they have plenty of avenues online that you could reach out to them. Um, so I was kind of like, why aren't, you know, why is this not, anywhere on your priority list. Um, and to be fair, you know, so I don't know if this marketing group is, was just for the Chicago screening, you know, they were just in charge of that or if it's actually linked to the film on a broader scale. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I got to see the movie. Um, and the folks, so I, I saw it with um, a group of the, the Chicago adoptees. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm glad I got to see it together with them. Mm-hmm. Glad why? <laughs> um, glad because we had, you know, we, we debriefed afterwards um, and basically just expressed our rage <laughs> to each other. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I am trying to even think of how to describe how I was feeling. Um, after and so another thing, interesting thing about that screening, um, I don't I, I don't know who else was explicitly invited to that screening, um, but what I did notice was that the audience appeared to be majority white, 
Um, so presumably majority non-adopted people. Um, we did see um, some other Asian folks there. I'm, you know, my, my friend and I ran into another like Asian, like not Korean, but Asian adoptee in the popcorn line. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, you know, how that word got around or, or who all was invited, but um, so being in, an, in a fairly full feeder of mostly, you know, non-adopted white people, <laughs> um, it was very interesting to hear their reactions just like throughout the movie, like the moments where they would gasp or, mm -hmm. or you could hear people like kind of sob or you know like um or sometimes even laughter um like the points where they laughed I wish I could give you a specific example but there mm -hmm. were I all I remember is that there were moments when I would hear you know people in the audience I just wanted to turn around and be like excuse me right. <laughs> um so um so yeah um and there were several people in the group of adoptees there who have been involved in adoptee advocacy work for a really long time um, a couple of adoptee scholars, you know, and so um, we were immediately critical of the film for a lot of different reasons, um, which we're, I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> and, um, but also, you know, folks who had been, who have been doing the work for adoptee citizenship, um, you know, trying to push the Adoptee Citizenship Act, um, they were immediately just like, this is so clearly Adam Krapser's story. Like, it is very obvious. Um, and you know, to our knowledge, he was not consulted. But he was not consulted. He did not give his permission for for this film to be made about his life. Um, and so, you know, I don't know Adam personally. Um, of course, he came to my mind when I saw the trailer too. You know, it's like, oh, that's you know, wonder this was inspired by Adam. Right. Um, and you know, not that Adam is the only like deported adoptee, but um, there are just a lot of specific details in in the movie that are, you know the same as, as Adam's life. Um, so it's like too much to be coincidence, it seems. Um, yeah, let me just hop in here. So for listeners, if you're not aware, Adam Krapser is a Korean adoptee who has been deported. And when we think about kind of mainstream media attention to adoptee deportations, especially more recently, Adam's case or his story is really the one that would come to mind. So in 2015, the New York Times Magazine ran a story about his, you know, quote, bizarre deportation odyssey. That was the headline. And then, you know, several other um, news sites picked up on that story and kind of followed his case um, until he was eventually deported at the end of that year. And so for folks who had never heard about adoptee deportations or never thought about it, this would have been the case that would have brought that to your attention. Um, there really hasn't been any big mainstream kind of attention to any other adoptees case um, you know, really since then, and there was a lot of organizing around his case specifically, and then broader um, adoptee citizenship rights advocacy kind of around, you know, being spurred by his particular case. So that's why I think part of this is so important. Um, Caitlin, as you mentioned, like thinking about, okay, I see this trailer, I'm automatically thinking about Adam, I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking about Adam, right, because this is the case that, you know, would have spurred kind of someone's interest, but also shock and outrage, you know, in the last handful of years. Yeah, exactly. And 
um, you know, it's, I, it's, it's hard for me to speak from, you know, an unbiased perspective, having known about Adam's case and like the issue of adoptive citizenship for such a long time, but um, it's, it's pretty clear, you know, if you, if you just look at um, like the comments on social media on like the trailer and things like that, um, you know, not that like <laughs> Facebook comments are a super reliable source of like information, but just, you know, looking, just kind of trying, I was, you know, curious to kind of see how like a, a quote unquote general audience was reacting to, to this media. Yeah. Um, and uh, some of the comments, I mean, things like, I only want to see it if it has a happy ending was one of the comments. Um, another one said, wow, love movies like this. I plan on seeing this. It's like movies like what? this <laughs> movies, like what, like, what does that mean? Uh, um, you realize it's like, it looks like, it looks like a horrible circumstance. Like it's a, it's not a happy story. It's a horrible circumstance. Right. Um, or another comment was, was said, um, looks like a good movie characters you care about. Don't forget to bring your Kleenex. Um, and the part that, you know, caught me there was characters you care about. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, to a general viewer, particularly a non-adopted white viewer, it's just a character. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the main criticisms that, you know, adoptees have been voicing against the film is how, how, um, how stark of a lack of any push for meaningful action, um, is being taken by the by Justin Chun, by anybody else involved in the film, by the film's, you know, kind of like online presence as a whole. Um, so, you know, at the end of the film, they, uh, and you, you'll have seen this too, right? They, they flash the faces of several adoptees who have either been deported or are facing or at risk of deportation, um, their names and their dates of their adoption and if they were deported the date that they were deported, you know, kind of like an obituary almost, except about deportation. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, it flashes some statistics about how there are, you know, this many thousand adoptees without citizenship, um, but it doesn't bring any attention to the fact that there is a piece of legislation in Congress at this very moment, thanks to the work of adoptee advocate, you know, advocacy groups, um, who have been fighting for this for years and due to their hard work, it, you know, that bill is the closest to passing it's ever been. And um, there's, there's no mention of that. Um, and there was, there was also no mention of it in any of Justin Chun's like, you know, earlier interviews um, about the movie as the movie was being released other than if the journalist inserted information about the, the Adoptee Citizenship Act. Um, Justin never brought it up himself. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's like without, you know, so Justin's response in his interviews has been things like, well, you know, I'm not a political artist. I'm not a very political person. Um, I, I just don't have that much political knowledge. Um, but, you know, it's it's like without without even, acknowledging that that's the work that adoptees are doing, even if you feel like you can't say that you explicitly support it yourself, you know, because um, you quote unquote, don't want to be political. Um, without, you know, without that direction, that's, that's how these audiences are going to see this as nothing more than a character, as nothing more than a dramatic story that they, they you know, cry their eyes out at the movie theater, and then they're going to forget about it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. 
You know, you bring up a good point because not only is it like, oh, this is just this dramatic character that I can kind of relate to for this two hour period and then kind of go back to regular life, but also this idea of like, this is just the way it is, like that this might happen, right? Mm -hmm. Which the end of the movie does confirm, like this is real. This is not just, you know, a dramatic depiction. This is happening to real people, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also leaving with this kind of like, but that's just kind of the way, you know, it is. There's thousands of folks who could be deported. Um, Sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly like, oh, it's terrible. Uh, the end Um, and so there's something about whether you know when people say oh I'm not political okay but you created this whole piece of art that is doing something right it is moving people to feel something uh, but stopping short of the action as you mentioned right there actually is something that you could do uh, but that just seems you know lost right or forgotten or intentionally not included mm-hmm. right it's like forgotten at best like intentionally not included at worst right um yeah absolutely I do find it hard to believe that you know you would know the statistics about how many potential deportable adoptees there are, but then not know that there's, you know, legislation and efforts that have been ongoing for several years to create, you know, some sort of legislation to resolve this issue. So I think, you know, it's, it's hard not to believe, you know, right. It's hard not to think like you're being disingenuous on some level. And particularly given that now, as you know, the backlash has really escalated and um, Justin Chan and, you know, the filmmakers are making their, uh, their fumbled attempts to respond. Um, you know, he, he, Justin Chan, he's been trying to push that, you know, he consulted with folks who worked with Adoptees for Justice. Um, you know, he's emphasizing the number of like impacted adoptees he consulted, which is interesting because his number has changed from the early press. He used to say it was five adoptees. Now he's saying it's 13, 14. Um, and, you know, he, he keeps talking about these hundreds of hours of research that he poured into this movie and meant, you know, several years. It, he, you know, I think he said he took him four or five years to take this, to, to make this movie. Um, it's like if you consulted with these impacted people who have done this, you know, have been involved in the work for adoptee citizenship, like there's literally no way that you spent hundreds of hours talking to them and didn't hear about the adoptee citizenship act. Like that's just not possible. Um, so yeah, it it makes it harder to believe the the what I would say is pretty weak defenses that he's been putting out um, as of late. Absolutely. Yes. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll kind of dive into some more of these controversies around um, the movie Blue Bayou as we talk about this broader topic of representation and appropriation. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. We're here on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM and always available on WYXR.org as well. 
I'm Sana, and I'm here with Caitlin Himmicke, an adoption researcher, and we have been talking about Blue Bayou, um, Justin Chan's latest film that follows the story of Antonio LeBlanc, a Korean adoptee who's facing deportation. And this story mirrors real life stories of adoptees who have been deported, particularly Adam Crapser. And we've been talking about some of the controversies around this film. So one being this mirroring of a real life person's story and even saying story you know makes it seem you know too much of kind of like a fictional account but his real life experiences um, that people are going through and so obviously that's one big part of this question around okay when is it you know when is it rep just representation and when is it appropriation and so I'm wondering could you if you could speak to some of the other controversial components of Blue Bayou <laughs> where do we even begin <laughs> um and well so you know talking about this idea of representation um you know it, it's become that's, that's such a buzzword these days, you know, especially, you know, we, had, we just had Shang-Chi come out, um, you know, different similar movies to it, you know, over the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, what, what really strikes me about this, the, the conversation on Blue Bayou, you know, Blue Bayou is explicitly not created by an adoptee, right? It, it is written by, directed by, starring a non-adopted person. Um, there has been little evidence of, you know, adoptee involvement in, you know, they, 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 there were a lot of glitzy photos from the premiere with like Aquafina and, you know, Steven Yeun, and, but like, you know, there, it, you know, it didn't seem like there were any adoptees there. Um, it, he, you know, he's been talking vaguely about his adoptee consultants, but, you know, it's like, okay, consult, like consulting the impacted community is like literally the bare minimum you can do for a film like this, right? If you're trying to portray this story um, that is not your own, um, that's like the bare minimum you can do. But I don't know, in my mind, it's just like, how, how can you like basically let somebody give you directions from the back seat and call that representation? Like if it's representation, you put them in the driver's seat, right? Like you think that's a bad analogy, but um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's one thing that I've kind of been struggling with. That's, and that's aside from the whole issue of, you know, whether or not he um, like appropriated Adam Crafter's story without his permission. That's like, you know, a whole other, another side to that issue. But um, just on the surface of it being, you know, no adoptees like kind of front and center in the film's production or, you know, not much also in the film's, you know, marketing or the, the press, the interviews that was done afterwards. Um, adoptee voices were only brought into those interviews when the journalists made the effort to do so. Um, because there are, you know, there are some journalists out there who have, you know, been covering adoption issues. You know, they might not be adopted, they're not adopted themselves, but they're aware of, of those issues. So then they have the sensitivity to bring an adoptee voice into the piece. But um, it just doesn't seem like there's much effort on, you know, the film's part to, to bring adoptee voices front and center into this conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, I've seen a lot about this whole, you know, Justin has constantly brought up, you know, while I had adoptee consultants, I've talked, you know, hundreds of hours and, you know, hundreds of adoptees. And it also, for me, it raised the question of, you know, you can talk to adoptees, and I do think that's important. 
But there is also an adoptee community that not every adoptee is connected to. There are also adoption researchers that not every, you know, adoptee that you might run across that might be willing to share their personal story that they may not be aware of or connected to. So yes, you know, understanding personal stories is important, but connecting it to these broader histories of adoption Mm -hmm. is also extremely important when contextualizing something like a blue bayou, which is talking about an issue that started in a particular time period, thinking about international adoption, that has had various pieces of legislation to try to ensure citizenship, that have left loopholes in citizenship, legislation that has tried to be introduced over the decades to resolve that loophole. So there's a a much broader history that of course doesn't have to be completely represented in the film, but that provides important information to the issue at large, information that would provide viewers again with some sort of call to action or that could be communicated with journalists when talking about the movie because certainly a question is you know this is really happening like what you know what is going on like how did this start or you know like is there anything we can do which just seems like a natural question that people would be wondering (laughs) and for someone who's done all these hours and hours of research to not have is you know it's disappointing yeah um yeah and you know obviously you know the adoptive community is not a monolith Um, no community is a monolith um, of course, he can't consult with every single person, or you know, it, you know, that's that's not the that's not the ask here, right? It's just that. Um, I mean, I think for me, you know, my question would be, yeah, like how many of the people you consulted are impacted by this issue? Um, how many of them are, you know, as you were just saying, like have have like deep, extensive, like just scholarly knowledge, or you know, just of, of the issue. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think people have also brought up is like there, there's just this, this whole rich, um, you know, knowledge pool of there are so many adoptee scholars out there who, you know, would have been great to consult with for this film and, and they were, you know, they're popping up in the comments of, of, you know, his, his interviews and things saying like, I'm here, like, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you think to ask any of us, um, and um, another question I have is, did you compensate those consultants? Because mm-hmm. um, that's another issue, right? That's particularly when um, it's about something, th- this film is about something as full of trauma as adoption and particularly adoptees without citizenship and facing deportation. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's super important, I think, to have impacted adoptees consulting with you, but um, you have to recognize that as like, deep emotional labor right like mm-hmm. it's it's already labor just if they're giving you their time and sharing their knowledge but for them to have to you know crack open the storybook of their very traumatic lives and share that with you that is um yeah a huge emotional burden to ask them to relive that so um yeah I want to know are they were they compensated <laughs> right mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. Such an important question when we're talking about representation. And 
like the ethics of representation, especially when you are presenting a story that's not your own about a community that I will go out on a limb and say Justin is not, you know, a part of, right, or connected to in any way. And it can be very self-serving when you are, you know, representing, again, it's great to have this additional publicity um, and, and just awareness around adoptees who are undocumented. You know, definitely that's very important to have more awareness about that. But as you mentioned, you know, okay, so we're talking about representation. Who did you consult with? How much, to what extent, you know, did you compensate them? What is the type of work that you're doing with the communities um, in order to not just represent a story that might resonate with you as a non-adopted person, but a story that also is, you know, true to the community from which, you know, all these ideas um, and narratives come from. And mm -hmm. so I want to ask you about, if we're thinking about the adoption narrative that we see represented in Blue Bayou, um, and I know that that's where a lot of your previous work has been as well, like looking at what, you know, adoption narratives and memoirs. And so I'm wondering from that perspective, what did you think about the adoption narrative that was presented? <laughs> um, um gosh I mean the easiest way I can sum it up I think is that I walked out of that movie theater thinking like yep that was total adoptee trauma porn mm. um it's you know an adoptee's traumatic life experience um told through the lens of a non-adopted person um and in my, you know, to my perspective, at least clearly targeted at um, a non-adopted audience. Um, and, you know, the story is told in a way, again, for them to just, you know, to bawl their eyes out and pat themselves on the back for being so sympathetic toward those poor adoptees mm. um, without, you know, without asking them to actually critically engage with, um, you know, the many laws in the adoption system that caused, you know, that, that leads to cases of deportation like this um, without asking them to question, you know, um, how do, how do people get adopted in the first place? You know, um, there's a birth mother, you know, trope in, in the film that I found highly problematic. Um, and yeah, it just, to me, it seemed so clear that this movie was not made by us and not made for us either. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we, yeah, we can get more into the details of that. It's like spoiler alert, maybe, but it <laughs> to come out. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was the main thought that was like kind of pounding in my head after I, after I walked out of the theater. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, you know, the birth mother trope that's in the, in the movie. Can you speak more about that? Um, yeah, I guess, spoiler alert, should I, <laughs> is it okay? <laughs> spoiler alert. What happened and, yeah, so spoiler, you know, turn your volume down if you haven't seen it, um, and, and you want to see it, um, which I would say don't see it, but, um, and yeah, so, um, so the main character, Antonio, he, um, he has said all along that he doesn't remember anything about, um, you know, Korea or his birth mother, but then eventually reveals that he does remember um, because he was three years old when he was adopted, and he he states that um, 
his his birth mother tried to drown him um, at first, and then she quote unquote couldn't go through with it, so she gave him up for adoption instead. Um, and so, you know, throughout the film, you see this image of a young Korean woman. She's wearing one of those like old fashioned hanbok, which is that you know it's like a traditional dress, but like a very plain one. It's like the white top and the dark bottom. Um, and she's holding, she's like in a boat in this, you know, this this pond or lake and holding a baby. And it, you know, it, each shot throughout the movie gets closer and closer to her. Um, and she's singing this kind of like haunting sounding lullaby. And then finally, after Antonio reveals that he, you know, he knows that she tried to drown him, you see her lowering this baby into this baby dressed in like an, a very elaborate like baby hanbok, <laughs> a traditional outfit. Mm -hmm. And she's lowering this crying baby into the water. Um, and, you know, I, I, again, it's difficult because, you know, there's no one story, um, you know, no one birth family story that represents all birth family stories. Mm -hmm. um, but to, you know, to depict her in this way that, that eventually culminates in, um, you know, at Antonio in kind of his lowest moment when his, you know, when he's prevented from going to his appeal hearing, um, tries to commit suicide in in this in this swamp, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you see him, you know, there's this very eerie image of him like swimming into the arms of his birth mother um, in the water, and it's just. Um, it, to me, it just felt like such a, a like pathological way to portray the birth mother in that case, you know, she's like, that's, that's, that's who's there when he's trying to take his own life, you know, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, this is what the way that she's haunting, you know, haunting him or, you know, what does, what is, what, did, what would an audience member, like a, you know, a general audience member think of her they're just going to look at her and say like oh my god she tried to drown her own baby that's terrible right mm -hmm. um and so i just feel like you know if you it would it would have been so much more i don't know the word i'm looking for but to try to critically engage the audience in a conversation about like you know it's it's well known now that many birth mothers are coerced or forced you know into into relinquishing their children for adoption it's not actually something that they wanted um, and so I just feel like taking, you know, going that route instead of, you know, this kind of eerie image of her in the water with this baby, you know, for the sake of quote unquote art, I don't know, <laughs> like, um, I just, I just didn't feel like it was, um, a, a meaningful representation of a birth mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I saw it, you know, and seeing her, you know, very young as well, which I think also added that other layer of like young mom, irresponsible, right? So thinking of mm. all these tropes around what mothers, quote unquote, give up their children, mm -hmm. right? And then layering on top of that, any other preconceived notions that you might have about birth mothers becomes even easier, right? With When seeing this. Right. Um, and so definitely that birth mother trope, very strong, as well as the, I think, adoptee um, abandonment issues, adoptee um, relationships as well, mm -hmm. um, very much coming through in this film. Definitely. Um, and, you know, 
one of the things that also just kind of struck me watching the film was um, the the emphasis on white tears <laughs> throughout the whole film, which on one hand is you know kind of accurate to real life, but um, <laughs> but also if you you know if that's what you choose to focus on, or if that's kind of the lens through which you're asking your audience to feel sympathetic for what's happening, um, then that just you know that just really shows who your audience your intended audience really is um so things like you know when when antonio reveals that his adoptive parents were abusive and that's why he doesn't want to go back to them to ask them to attend his hearing you know his, his wife just like crying and you know like i didn't know you did like why didn't you tell me why like you never told me um um even down to you know another highly problematic storyline of the the um, the cop, the, his, his wife's ex-partner, um, who we are eventually supposed to like in the end, question mark, um, you know, because he's, he, you know, he just doesn't want his daughter, you know, the, the main character's stepdaughter to leave the country if he's deported. So, um, you know, ca casting him as like a sympathetic character and um, us, you know, the audience is supposed to interpret him as being like ultimately a good guy because he's, you know, quote unquote, doing the right thing. Um, and even honestly, you know, the, that daughter, um, I got her name in the movie, um, Jessie, Jessie. Um, you know, having her being the focal point at the end of the, you know, the last scene screaming, I choose you, you know, like, mm -hmm. don't go, I choose you. Like, of course, like this, like, you know, however old she's supposed to be this little girl like crying her eyes out for her dad like yeah that's gonna make your your audience cry <laughs> um but um it's 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 putting the spotlight on her and her pain and not on the adoptee facing deportation and not that her pain isn't something we should care about but mm -hmm. again it's just a question of who who are you focusing on and who um who do you want your audience to focus on and what does that say about who you think your audience is and what they're interested in mm -hmm. um, and why they're ultimately watching the movie. Yes. I, you know, I think all these points you bring up it is, it's very clear that this movie was not intended for an adoptee audience. Um, and for a, a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, right. Thinking about what are the kind of storytelling devices that are used in this movie to appeal to a very specific type of audience to engender those feelings of you know of sympathy and really to move people on a very emotional journey indeed but mm -hmm. at what cost I think is the is the question at what cost um, does that happen and I will say I think that that scene that you mentioned where Antonio is what well, where it is revealed that Antonio has wanted to conceal the story about his um, adoptive parents or foster parents I think is what how they're called in the movie um, that actually really resonated with me along these ideas mm -hmm. of like as adoptees so we have so little control over our stories because mm -hmm. as transracial transnational adoptees especially like our our stories are part of our stories are, are just visible and people feel a right to ask. And so yes. we have very little control over what we can choose to share or not share, or at least control over what we're questioned about. And so exactly. that I will say that really resonated with me of thinking like, yeah, it makes perfect sense why like I, he wants to control this one piece of his story that he should be able to disclose or not as he chooses. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, yeah, because, you know, adoptees don't owe anybody their trauma, right? Like, um, and that's the whole thing with the film too. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and uh, I think kind of, you know, going off of this, um, one of the other things that's been so kind of upsetting in as this backlash against the film um, escalates is, you know, one of, one of um, so I think one of the first um, articles um, that was kind of highlighting you know, the criticism and brought in some adoptees who are, have been very vocal about, um, you know, speaking out against the film was on reappropriate. Mm-hmm. And um, they reached out, you know, to Justin Chun and Focus Features trying to get a response. And the response that they got was, look at this review from an adoptee who loved it. Like <laughs> this adoptee said it was great. This adoptee said they felt really seen. And that is just so, it just, it's, it's just an, yet another iteration of, you know, um, if an adoptee is quote unquote angry and dares to, you know, dares to speak up in a critical way, um, questioning, you know, these kinds of things, they're shut down. And instead we say, look at this other adoptee who is happy and grateful. And, you know, this is like, why aren't you grateful? Like, you're so ungrateful for saying this. Um, I've seen comments to that effect too on social mm-hmm. media posts, right? If people saying, wow, they're so, you know, so ungrateful. Um, just be happy that he made this movie, you know? Um, and yeah, so that's, that's super upsetting. And, and it's, it's, I can't say it's surprising, unfortunately, um, but that just really goes to show you how it's so difficult for adoptees to, yeah, have any kind of control over the narratives and the discourses that centers around our lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's take another break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Caitlin Himicky, adoption researcher, and we have been talking about Blue Bayou, a story about a Korean adoptee who is facing deportation charges, a story that very, that very much mirrors real life experiences of adoptees who are undocumented. Now, we've given a lot of focus and attention to the controversies around, um, around this film, but I want to talk about some uh, a few a few things so one I don't think we specifically (laughs) mentioned um, the call to boycott this film and so I'm wondering if you can tell us more about the boycott and what adoptees are hoping to draw attention to with this boycott of the film yeah so with the with the call for a boycott I mean it's it's two things two main things um, the first being that um, this film clearly seems to be um, using or exploiting is the word really exploiting the story of deported adoptee Adam Krapser. Um, Adam has publicly, you know, shared his own statement of how Justin Chun did contact him, you know, many several years ago, but then never responded. Um, and, you know, by the way, I watched a, uh, a Facebook live panel with Justin Chun and his response to that was, well, actually I was locked out of my Facebook account for four years. So that's why I never responded. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, aside from that, but so, you know, so um, yeah, the first point being Adam Krapser um, and the way that his story has been exploited um, without his approval or his consent. Um, and then the second being that the film and filmmakers have no specific call to action for the Adoptee Citizenship Act. So 
Um, you know, I think the adoptee advocacy groups calling for this boycott, they're really trying to divert attention from, from the film to like the actual, you know, concrete action steps that you can take to support you know, if you care about deported adoptees or adoptees facing deportation, the way you can support them is not by seeing this film that's not made by adoptees or doesn't include adoptees, but, you know, actually you can, you know, there are ways you can, very, very easy ways you can, you know, sign petitions and um, contact your your representatives to urge them to, to support the Adoptee Citizenship Act. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I saw the call for the boycott and, I did, of course, see the movie because I wanted to be able to have this conversation, you know, with yeah. you. Uh, but I think it's important that adoptees are able to leverage their voices to call for a boycott and to, you know, have answers to very valid questions. Again, I think the the question of, you know, the intent of the film, but also the intended audience, I think are very key to this. And as we think about representation, which is, you know, how we've kind of been um, framing this broader conversation, I think that's very key to, you know, the the purpose and the power of representation. Because if the intended Mm -hmm. audience is someone other than who is the subject of the film, there are very different decisions that get made in what that representation actually ends up looking like, which is what we've Mm -hmm. seen in this film. Um, Now, of course, we've been talking about undocumented adoptees and the fight for citizenship rights. And so I want to um, kind of close out our time together this morning talking about the steps that people can take, the concrete steps that people can take um, when we're thinking about these issues of immigration and documentation as it applies in this case to adoptees. So could you tell us a little bit more about um, the Adoptee Citizenship Act and the advocacy around this legislation? Yeah, so um, the Adoptee Citizenship Act, sorry, I keep like fumbling that word, a Citizenship Act um, of 2021 is what's in, you know, what's in Congress right now. Um, And so this act has, you know, it's been brought to the table before, but just has never been managed to get passed. So, um, and what this act would do, it would grant, you know, it would grant automatic citizenship um, to, you know, to anyone who's adopted into the United States. and the goal is also, so one of the key um, points from the advocacy groups, I would say, is to make sure that it's a clean, a quote unquote clean version of the bill gets through. So um, we want, you know, citizenship for all, all intra-country adoptees, um, as well as a, a path for deported adoptees to come back, um, regardless of, you know, any, any criminal record or um, past history of, of things like that. Um, because that's one thing that um, often happens if you know when these bills are trying are getting marked up or going going through the legislative process, um, they try to cut things like that or they try to make exclusions. So we want no exclusions for for that bill. Um, and so so currently the bill it is gaining bipartisan support. Um, if you if you look up the well I, don't, I need to not mess up this acronym the Alliance for Adoptee Citizenship. Um, it's a newly formed alliance of several organizations, including Adoptees for Justice, um, who has have been the main force, you know, behind um, the the boycott of the film, as well as you know they've been putting out statements about the you know the the problematic aspects of the film. Um, 
So if you search either of those two organizations, you know, Adoptees for Justice or the Alliance for Adoptee Citizenship, um, they have petitions you can sign. They have forms on their websites that, you know, it takes maybe like one minute tops to fill out. You just put in your information um, and it will automatically send an email to your representatives um, urging them to, to support the, the ACA as it's known, the Adoptee Citizenship Act. Um, so that's the goal right now is just to get as much support in, you know, as, as many reps on board as possible so that it can get passed within this year. Mm -hmm. And is there any um, estimate of how many adoptees that this legislation would particular uh, would uh, potentially, that's the word I was looking for, potentially impact? Um, yeah, so this is tricky because I think, you know, there's no good way to know exactly how many adoptees don't have citizenship. Um, I think the number that gets tossed around is anywhere between like 35, 40,000. Um, and in particular among those, um, I think it's the, the Korean government actually that estimates that it's um, about 18,000 of those are Korean uh, adoptees. So it's, yeah, many thousands that we're talking about here. Yes, absolutely. And just one more time, could you share with our audience the organizations that they could look into for more information about the Adoptee Citizenship Act and also for ways that they could get involved. Yes, so the first one is Adoptees for Justice. Um, their website is adoptiesforjustice.org. Um, and then the other kind of newer coalition um, is the Alliance for Adoptee Citizenship. Um, AAC is the, you know, the acronym, um, but their website also is just Alliance for Adoptee Wonderful. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I had a great discussion with you and thank you so much for sharing the ways that folks who are listening can actually get involved. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you again to Caitlin Himmicke for joining us this morning as we talked about these questions around representation, appropriation, and then of course, specifically how this is impacting Korean adoptees with the movie Blue Bayou. So for today's positive note, I just want to leave you with this quote that says, when writing the story of your life, don't let anyone else hold the pen. And I thought this was so appropriate for today's conversation. And hopefully we will continue to see movies about Korean adoptees, but created by Korean adoptees for Korean adoptees. And we can think about that extending again to other communities that have historically been marginalized or misrepresented, rep misrepresented in the media. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And remember, wherever you are in the world, you can always tune in or even catch up on past shows on WYXR.org. Until next Monday, I'm Sanaa.